Hello and welcome to the second series of Lead Better, Succeed Better. In this series, we'll focus on sustainability across all sectors and I'll chat to sustainability professionals about the sustainability wins and challenges in their industries. In this podcast, we welcome Patrick Osborne, who is Head of Sustainability at ECE Architects. He is a chartered architect and certified European passive house designer with experience of low energy, domestic, education and commercial building projects across the UK. Passive House is an international standard for energy efficiency, using building physics as a starting point. It is used to radically reduce heating demands and therefore making it easier to meet a net zero carbon target. If we have any chance of meeting our climate reduction targets, we need to start adopting what we call a fabric first approach, so we can serve energy rather than wasting it and using valuable renewables to heat our buildings. Hi Patrick, thank you for coming. It's lovely to have you here. Hi Laura. How has your background influenced your journey into sustainability? That's a really great question to start with. Um, I guess I uh, took a traditional route into architecture. I studied my undergraduate at a local architecture school and then when I went to do my master's I studied at the Centre for Alternative Technology in Wales where they really focus on sustainability and, and net zero uh, and adaptation as well. So I, I learned a lot at, um, at the Centre for Alternative Technology, um, or CAT as we call it. And then I worked for some really passionate architects concerned about climate change, and it's really developed the way that I consider how we design buildings and uh, and get buildings built. I have qualified as, uh, as you said, uh, a passive house designer, as well as, as other things focusing on sustainability and um, I'm now head of sustainability at a large practice called ECE Architecture and we're working on passive house buildings, we're working on retrofit buildings, existing buildings, trying to reduce the energy demand for those buildings as much as we can. And how do you or architects in general integrate sustainable design principles into your projects while maintaining the aesthetic appeal and functionality? I think the real key is simplifying as much as we can. We've had a number of years of trying to overcomplicate things by adding technology and making things um, not necessarily work in the, in the right way, the way that we reuse buildings. And it's partly due to the way that buildings are, are built. We often design them uh, a number of years before they're, they're actually occupied. A contractor will build them and then as a, an industry we'll then move on to the next project and we're not going back and seeing how these projects work. We call this post-occupancy evaluation. We need to do a lot more of that, which is where we go back and see how our buildings are working uh, and testing to see if it's actually delivering the carbon savings, for instance, that we predicted. We need to share those lessons that we've learnt as much as we can by talking about it and developing our own knowledge, our own understanding, so the industry can move forwards as a, in a more positive way. Uh, and I guess the aesthetic appeal, functionality, they're, they're always going to go hand in hand. So it's up to the designer to do as best they can with the tools that they have, I think. And are you able to tell us some innovative sustainable materials or building techniques that you incorporate into your designs? I think that's a really interesting question. Um, the building industry, the construction industry is incredibly conservative with a small C. They really don't like change and it's, uh, and I say that from a part of the industry, making any significant change uh, costs money, it takes time uh, and when you think you might be planning how to build a building for five or six years before it gets 
built on site. Innovation isn't necessarily the best way of thinking about it with funding as well. Sometimes innovative ideas can lead to additional risk. But having said that, there are a number of different things that we can do to, um, to incorporate into our designs. And, and most of it is, is just building good quality and making sure that the building is insulated well, airtight, that kind of thing. So we are looking at off-site construction, timber frame in particular. It reduces what we call the embodied carbon, which is the, the carbon within the materials of a building rather than the operational carbon, which is the carbon that's used to heat or light a building. Definitely insulating as much as we can, so using insulation that is higher performing than maybe we've used in the past. And I think it's the processes as well that we need to improve and innovate. So as designers, we, we need to be able to understand the implications of our design decisions. So using energy modelling and software to identify where a building will be less efficient uh, is really important and also predicting the embodied carbon within a design we can compare and contrast different options uh, and present that to a client for their um, decision making really Uh, so I think it's in the processes that we need to to innovate rather than the the building techniques as, Mm -hmm. as such. Oh okay that's really interesting so when I was doing my research I discovered that 13% of products delivered to the construction sites are sent directly to landfill without being used. What are some effective ways for architects to design buildings that minimise waste during construction? And are there ways in which you can encourage recycling and reuse? It's a really scary statistic uh, and it's hardly changed in the time that I've worked as an architect. Even though there have been campaigns, legislation to try and reduce that amount of waste. Um, Yeah, it's something like one in every five houses is effectively thrown in the bin. Uh, Wow. (laughs) It's just ridiculous, really. Um, And partly it's due to the way that we build buildings. Um, Delays cost money, so it's often more cost-effective to over-order materials so that suppliers send enough materials so there's no delays on site. But suppliers often won't take those unused materials back. Uh, and bricks are a classic example, uh, and it leads to a significant amount of waste, which could be reduced. And it's often built into a quantity surveyor's cost plan so that they they just assume that there will be some waste, and it's something that we need to, to deal with, particularly with you know some of these common materials. There's a huge amount of carbon in, um, in bricks, in concrete blocks, that could be saved just by not building in that potential waste stream. Uh, Improvements over the last few years have developed in off-site construction, as I've I've said, where we're designing within panel sizes, parts of buildings that are built in factories so that they can control the waste. Um, And we're working on a number of projects where whole buildings effectively are are built that lead very little work to turn into houses or buildings. And the, um, the factory themselves, they can then control that waste really well they take ownership of that effectively i guess there's um there's a more pressing question that we should be reusing our existing buildings which i think Mm -hmm. is is probably a a real growth area and we need to be focusing on retrofitting our existing buildings to bringing them up to um to our current building regulation standards all better really there's a growing market for reusing steel as well uh we're working with a structure engineer who has really been very helpful to ensure that where one building is being demolished that he's working on, some of the steel is then being used in 
in the building that we're working on. So there's, there needs to be a, a marketplace for reused materials and better data to ensure that we know where products have come from so that we know what can be reused and, and how it can be reused. And we, we need to support campaigns to reduce carbon in, in emissions. So there's a campaign called Part Z, which is about regulating embodied carbon which I think is, uh, is really important. We have to be able to do that. And we have to catch up with other countries like France who are effectively legislating this. Um, I also discovered that the built environment accounts for 45% of the total UK carbon emissions, with 27% coming from domestic buildings and 18% from non-domestic. How can architects incorporate renewable energy sources into their designs, such as solar or wind power? And a question I always want to know, and I'm sure the listeners want to know as well, why can't all new builds be built with solar panels as a standard? This is, uh, this is such a topical uh, subject because it's, it's something that's been discussed in Parliament just in the last week or so. Oh, okay. um, and Grant Shapps, the, the Net Zero Secretary, recently said that he wouldn't support solar panels on new buildings and that it was up to developers to decide that what the best route for uh, achieving energy efficiency is. Um, there's a bit of a question mark on whether or not Grant Shapps had the uh, authority to be talking about <laughs> uh, that because it's not his department. But essentially, it's a really interesting question and it's something that it should just be a no-brainer that we put solar panels on all our buildings. The regulations around energy efficiency um, is governed by building regulations and we've had quite a period of flux for the last 10 years or so. In 2016, we were meant to meet net zero carbon buildings um, through the Code for Sustainable Homes. And in 2015, that legislation was cut. So it meant the, the industry was gearing up for this, but then it, was, it had the, the rug pulled out from underneath its feet, effectively. We had a new edition of the regulations uh, in 2021. And so now we're building to a, a better, more efficient standard. But still, we're not mandating uh, solar panels. And we're actually up for a a new consultation for the, the 2025 regulation. So this is it's a bit boring, um, but it, it does make a, a big difference when it's on all new buildings across the, the country. The government has put forward five scenarios for how they see the buildings can meet the energy efficiency targets to meet net zero. Only one of those doesn't have solar PV panels as a standard. What we're concerned about is that that's the government's preferred option. I always say that as an architect, it's difficult um, not to be political, but it's likely that actually we might have a new government by the time that we, um, we get this legislation in 2025. Um, so we just don't know. And this is something that the House Builders Federation, the, the industry itself, is quite concerned about because they want surety on the direction that we're travelling. And if they don't have that, they can't train up um, installers, they can't uh, invest in products, that kind of thing. So we need stability, effectively, to, to go forwards with this. When we talk about the built environment being almost half of our carbon emissions, that's including all of our buildings. And our new build is really only about 150,000 homes a year, and we've got 27 million homes that we need to deal with. Um, so I see that as a much bigger challenge, and we need to regulate that. There's no legislation, there's no incentives and there's no, no requirements to, to upgrade uh, to net zero on our existing buildings at, at the moment. Um, or what there is, it's very unclear and very weak. So I see that as a real 
challenge for us. And it's uh, with existing buildings, it comes I- incredibly complicated and difficult uh, scenarios, really, where it's a lot easier to build new. And there, there's also tax incentives to build new. So VAT is charged at 0% for new builds and for refurbishments, you most of the elements will be still at 20%. So for a developer, it's a cost-driven scenario where they might want to knock a building down. What's really interesting is that um, the GLA and the City of London are starting to encourage whole life carbon assessments when developers want to knock buildings down and they're actually encouraging retaining buildings. It can often be a a lot less carbon uh, from the materials uh, and we can build almost new with just wrapping a building in insulation and um, uh, and new windows, that kind of thing. Of course, that gets even more complicated because if we wrap a building in insulation, it has to be non-flammable. Mm. Another serious consideration for for all buildings that we have to to deal with. We've had more legislation around fire, which was overdue, but it has made clients and developers and building owners uh, nervous about how how we do this and how we make sure that we're. Uh, complying with legislation and making these buildings safe. Okay, thank you. And um, what challenges do you face when implementing sustainable design practices and how can these challenges be overcome? I guess I'm asking, what are your biggest frustrations and what are your biggest pleasures in in your job? (laughs) That's such a good question. I guess the, the biggest one is it's about cost. If there's not enough money, then a building won't get built. And with changes to strategies, essentially, it often means that a, a contractor or a, a client will want to save money um, at the wrong time. We want to make all the design decisions really early on in a process so that when it gets on site and the real money is being spent, that uh, we're not changing things, getting a worse product effectively than what we should get. I, I guess what I really enjoy is seeing buildings being built, seeing them on site, seeing a, an unloved tired building being turned into something that is being used uh, efficiently effectively it's just a, an amazing uh, feeling really a lot of hard work goes into building from a whole team of people from architects through to engineers to the builders and the clients themselves you have to have a good client and someone that has a, a good vision to to make sure that it's a good project and it's successful really I think I guess that's the pleasure side the, the frustration is when it doesn't go that way and I think each project has there, there will always be problems along the way it's how we resolve those and obviously with sustainability and climate change this is another another aspect to consider and it should be one that we're we're focusing on it's the it's the key element how we can bring our existing buildings and new buildings to to improve our spaces and to to really be regenerative rather than just just less bad I think that's the that's the key Mm -hmm. and can you give me an example of what your favorite regeneration project has been it doesn't have to be (laughs) one you've worked on or anything but just a building that you love oh uh I guess there's probably a, a couple and I think they're all going to be refurbishments there's a project in Cambridge called Regent Street that's by a, a company uh, the design was by Archetype 
and uh, it's taking a 1930s um, old post office building and, and retrofitting it to a basically the, the passive house standard so it's incredibly airtight and well insulated the ventilation is um, really good because it's su- supplied and filtered uh, but they've used natural materials um, they've taken an old building um, and produced it, uh, something in- incredible really um, I really like that project um, oh, sounds amazing. It's a good one. Okay, and then finally, do you have any easy tips that our listeners can implement to become a bit more sustainable in their built environment? I think this is um, such a, a an important question, and it's a such a wide ranging one that it, it depends on who the listeners are. But I I wanted to to say that yeah, most of our homes run on gas, uh, and most of them run way too hot for what we need. So we heat our hot water really hot and then we mix it down for showers and baths. It's just inefficient and it creates additional carbon emissions. So there's guidance on the Energy Savings Trust, how to reduce emissions and and how to reduce your flow temperature on on boilers. So that's something that everyone could just do and we would save carbon just, you know, it's it's one of those zero cost things that I think is really important. You could swap your boiler for an air source heat pump. It's expensive. Uh, There is government help. So the um, boiler upgrade scheme um, gives certain amount of money towards that uh, and if correctly it will reduce your emissions significantly one of the, one of the risks though is that because electricity is more expensive than the gas per unit your costs won't necessarily reduce so we've got to really focus on making sure that that installation is right um, and that your house is insulated to start with and then if you're commissioning an architect for a, an extension or a new house um, or even to retrofit it definitely insulate more than the minimum standard get a whole house retrofit plan so that you have a route to getting down to uh, to net zero carbon and make sure that ventilation to your home isn't reduced uh, in any significant way because then we get uh, what's called unintended consequences. You don't want to undo work that you've paid for. And if you're then commissioning an architect for a building, make sure that the you're getting a recognised standard of energy efficiency and visit projects. So there's always projects around the country. So the Passive House Trust or the Super Homes Network always have opportunities to to go and see buildings that are meeting these standards. Um, really good examples of energy efficient builds. So I'd, I'd look at those um, and try and get inspiration from built projects already. I find seeing a technology or a material in use so much more useful and it helps me to visualise how it can be included in a building or a home or or anything like that. So it's uh, it's really useful to go and see and ask the owner question, ask the designer questions and how they've found it um, because we're all just trying to learn how to do this better. I think that's the, that's the key. Great. Thanks, Patrick. Those are really helpful tips. If anybody wants to get in touch with Patrick, you can find him on LinkedIn or via the ECE Architecture website, which is ecearchitecture.com. Music